Are You Just Watching is supported by your dearly loved listeners. Special thanks to Tim Martin, Richard French, and Stephen Brown II for their monthly support. To help support Are You Just Watching, please go to patreon.com slash areyoujustwatching. Show notes for this episode can be found at areyoujustwatching.com slash 63. Are you just watching episode 63 fall television 2016 welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. <laughs> this is a little bit off of our usual topic, but in the same, but it is about watching. It is indeed. And, and frankly, we need to be watching with critical thinking everything we watch needs to be with critical thinking. We talked about commercials in the spring of this year, and uh, I've actually got some people who thought that was a really entertaining episode, so we'll try. I enjoyed doing it. Yeah, it was fun. We may have to do a sequel to it next spring. (laughs) There's always entertaining commercials to talk about. Uh, Let's let's do it after the Super Bowl. That way we have some really good material. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I think that's mostly what we talked about in the last one. But this time we were going to talk about our TV viewing, and I know in Are You Just Watching, my previous co-host did some uh, episodes on certain television shows, but this one we're just going to touch on um, just a handful of new television shows that are coming out this particular fall. And before we get dive into those, I just kind of wanted to maybe go back and back and forth between us and explain what makes a television show work for us and what our standards are mm-hmm. in um, viewing uh, when we watch t- TV. Um, because they are a little different. I'm, when um, Daniel and I first started this podcast, we did a show that was entirely about where we drew the line and what we watched in movies. And it was different for either of us. We both had different standards. So it'll be interesting to um, see how that falls out for the two of us. One of the things that really bugs me is uh, there seems to be a uh, move recently, particularly in in uh, in hero type shows for the anti-hero, which I know is very popular. Um, but I really like characters that I can root on, that I can that I can be happy with their, uh, or at least that I can uh, sympathize with their their difficult decisions. Mm-hmm. And not go, not look at it and go, why in the world did he just kill that guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there has to be believable background and empathy with a character. Yeah, it's. it's I'm not a big fan of shows. Uh, for, for instance, and I know this is a popular one, Empire, where everyone is backstabbing everyone else, and mm. I'm probably over oversimp- oversimplifying it drastically. <laughs> Uh, but that's what I get from the commercials, Empire, Nashville, all those uh, industry ones. Um, scandal. Yeah, scandal. <laughs> uh, how to get away with murder, maybe. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, actually, I, I stopped watching uh, uh, Suits because of that. I really enjoyed the characters in Suits, but it just got to be so much backstabbing and 
and two-facing that I just couldn't sympathize with the characters anymore. So that's one of my mm-hmm. standards is I want to be able to, um, I guess I want to be able to see a little bit of myself in the characters. Yeah, I can see that. Now, I've, I think for me, I have to be able to identify like you with a character especially when it's a, a full cast of characters. Uh, if I don't connect with at least one of the characters, I will quickly become bored with the show. And it may not necessarily be that it turns me off. It just, I get bored because I don't, I don't connect with any of the characters. Uh, one I can think of, especially is once upon a time, which we actually have a sister podcast in our network. Mm-hmm. That's a fan podcast for once upon a time, but that is one show I couldn't, I, I watched the first half of the first season and they killed off the only character I liked <laughs> right at, right at the like midway point in the season. And I was like, I just don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't connect with any of the characters. I thought the kid especially was a horrible actor and <laughs> I just couldn't get into it. But I, I, it was just one of those situations where I didn't connect with any, any of the characters. There's also an issue I see with shows that go on so long that the, the arc, the story arc gets buried and the characters start to lose their cohesiveness. I don't know yeah. if that makes any sense. Uh, Smallville was one that did that to me. I really liked it for like the first couple seasons. And then I just kind of lost interest. I recorded them, but I never watched them. <laughs> I ended up just deleting them. It's because... A bunch of them do that for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I think the, just... only one, the only one that comes to mind that uh, has escaped that is mm-hmm. been it's been NCIS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know NCIS has has great characters and great ca- cast cohesiveness. Um, it's not one I've watched from the beginning, but it's one my parents have always watched, and mm-hmm. they kind of got me hooked on it. So I kind of came in in the middle, and uh, and and it's interesting that I think at least two of the ca- characters have left the show since I've started watching it, and yet they keep bringing in new characters, and it still works. It's like there's yeah. there's good... I don't know if that's a an indication that the writers are good or the producer and directors are good, but to be able to lose actors and, and still maintain a cohesive and believable storyline and, and an enjoyable story um, yeah. that makes you want to keep inviting them into your home is... is um, they. They seem to have the formula down for uh, for a good ensemble production. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there, I we don't normally we don't ever do uh, rated R rated R movies here, but uh, I have been known to enjoy stuff. I watched a little bit of Game of Thrones, actually only two episodes, because <laughs> frankly, the flesh in that was just far too. Uh, Way too much. Yeah, I've learned to avoid cable television shows because they do not have, um, well, let's just put it this way. If if it offends me um, when it comes to nudity and that kind of thing, then it's got to be pretty bad because that stuff doesn't turn me on and I don't care. But mm-hmm. it, there, I, I, um, there's some stuff that on cable, especially the... Um, the higher ranking, you know, like the premium cable channels, when they put on TV yeah. shows, it's just like you might as well just avoid them. <laughs> it's it, they seem to be doing it for uh, just for the sake of drawing drawing ratings, which I guess is where the money is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a show on uh, that just started on HBO called Westworld that I really want to like, but I've only made it through the first episode, and they're using the same formula 
uh, mm-hmm. you know that that they had for Game of Thrones, and it's it's such a good sci-fi concept, but I can't get into it. Yeah, and the other problem that I have, I found you were talking about like the the ones where everybody's backstabbing, and I I think ABC has really gotten that. Just seems to be the thing they do with their dramas now, which is is sad that every other one, if not ninety percent of their shows, have something. <laughs> Something to do with some kind of scandal or sex or sleeping around or it's just it, it's it's gotten to the point where, you know, if it's on ABC, don't watch it. But yeah, it's, and, it, this is a network that brings you ABC family. Right. Right. And that's sad because, you know, I, I don't particularly care for soap operas. I never have. And I've never understood the whole point of watching people sleep around which seems to be, you know, relationship when they w- want to do a show that's relationship driven that always seems to be who's sleeping with who. <laughs> and uh I really feel like that's what the number one draw the line for me is is that if it devolves into a relationship drama where it's all about people sleeping with other people and and stabbing people in the back like you said and scandal and sex, it just that if that's all the story is about, it's not worth watching. Yeah, we're, I'm, I'm actually going to talk a little bit more about that in, in one of the shows that we're going to be discussing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and so I think that, that for me, number one, I don't even have a problem watching a lot of Supernatural stuff, which um, I actually enjoy Supernatural shows and superhero shows. Um, but if they start, you know, where it just seems like the story is driven by relationships and sleeping around, then they lose me really quick. Yep, yeah. Yeah, so for as far as standards go, that's pretty much it for me. I'll try pretty much anything, but uh, mm-hmm. we joke in, in my family. I have a th- I have a three episode rule. Um, yeah, <laughs> give it at least three episodes. I I try to give it at least three episodes. I <laughs> I don't always make it. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I pretty rarely make it. <laughs> yeah, you can usually t- now pilots can sometimes be bad, and then the show will revive with a second or third episode. But usually a pilot is a good indication of whether you're going to like the show or not. And yeah. um, the the interesting thing about that is for me, it's, and, and I think this will come up in our discussions too, is chemistry in, in the cast, especially an ensemble cast, is really important to me. And if I feel like there's no chemistry there, and I'm not talking about sexual chemistry, I'm talking about interplay interplay yeah it it feels realistic like they're not just delivering lines like these are real people talking to each other yep um and you know what characters on a tv show can have really great chemistry and actually in real life not like each other and and it all is in i guess the skill of the actor i found out recently castle which was one of my favorite shows that was canceled the end of um spring Mm -hmm. i found out that the two leads in that um nathan fillion and Stanya, Stanya, Stanya uh, Kov- Kovacek or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah. She's, it's, it is a very Eastern European name. Yes, yes. She has um, – I found out that in real life they really don't like each other. And they've been playing for the last two seasons um, completely in love couple. Mm-hmm. And I think they did a very convincing job. But it, <laughs> uh, it was re- very surprising to find out that, that Nathan was trying to kick her out of the show. And he wanted to continue the show solo without her and – and there was some kickback from fans and people were like, well, hey, if that's not going to work, we'll just cancel the show. And that's what happens. Yeah. Castle Castle had some great writing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that uh, certainly helped carry it along. Yeah. But uh, you you were talking about ensemble cast. I think I think that's a really good uh, uh, segue into the first show that we wanted to discuss. Yes. Yes. The first show that uh, that came up was Conviction, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't actually pay attention to the network it's on. Do you? Do it's, you have... it's it's ABC and it's in Castle's Time Shot. It's the show that took over Castle. Okay. Well, Conviction has uh, Conviction is an ensemble show to a point. Uh, mm-hmm. It has a really strong lead, um, Haley Atwell. I think mm-hmm. is her name. Yep. She she plays a. Uh, uh, former first daughter, bad girl socialite named uh, Hayes Morrison, and uh, she's uh, essentially she's blackmailed into heading up a uh, a conviction integrity unit. Mm-hmm. But uh, she is in charge of this group of people, and this group of people is pretty much all played by really good actors. Um, one of the people in the conviction integrity unit is somebody that she ousted by being pulled in and i can't remember his name he played jinxie in Mm. uh warehouse 13 yeah and for marvel comics people or the new marvel movies people anyway i should say uh, they will recognize uh the lead in this because she's the one who Uh, played agent carter yes agent carter right and in both the tv show and the movies uh Captain America movies so yep. she, she should look very familiar to people it took me a while to figure out why she looked familiar to me but. <laughs> um the, the I think the ensemble cast is doing a really good job yeah. with it yeah I think that there's chemistry there um the the problem that I had um right off the bat with the chemistry that's going on is that they're going the direction that ABC shows seem to go like I just yep. mentioned a little bit ago uh the end of the last episode showed her getting in with the person who has blackmailed her into her position and it looks like they are attracted to each other and I'm not too happy with that direction. <laughs> yeah, it's I really hope they don't take it too far down that path. Mhm. But we will see. Yeah, I mean it's already very scandalous just the the whole reason the whole way that she's gotten black blackmailed into being the head of the unit and you, you know, I don't I don't actually mind that level of scandal just mm-hmm. because, it, you know, it, it seems realistic. It it seems to feed the character that she is, the bad right. girl socialite. Rebel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she gets busted for uh, cocaine possession. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's what she gets blackmailed over. Mm-hmm. But uh, I... I what I am liking is uh, you had mentioned it. It is really a different twist on law and crime shows. Yeah, uh, it is the way the way that they're treating they're the conviction it. integrity unit. Yeah, right, right. It's like you're you're coming in on the back end instead of instead of trying to find the bad guy and and convict him for a crime, which is what the typical um, spin is on these shows. They're taking people that have already been convicted and trying to find out whether or not they were correctly convicted whether they mm-hmm. actually did do the crime which is kind of a commentary on our system and that people can be um convicted of crimes they didn't do that there's you know i'm sure it happens but <laughs> so far we're three episodes in and every single per- case they've taken on they've managed to reverse yeah it, it, i think what was it the second episode uh it was three kids 
and it turns out only one of the three kids had actually done it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'm curious. I'm actually kind of curious to see as they go on whether whether they're going to keep that trend where every case they tackle is going to be a reversed conviction or whether they're going to find some that were lawfully convicted. They have they have taken it uh, an interesting direction with this last week's episode uh, mm-hmm. involved a, a um a man who had been convicted for bombing a mosque. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, even though it turns out he didn't do it, he was planning to and still intends to and mm-hmm. is very 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 radical as far as being racist and uh anti-muslim and and all that Mm -hmm. so they're taking it slightly different directions but i am looking forward to an episode where uh it's an unclear conviction but they find that the guy or the gal uh really did do what they were convicted of Mm -hmm. yeah I i think that they're going to have to do that at some point you know soon i bet soon yeah, yeah. because it, it's because the twist is always midway th- through the episode you think well maybe he did do it and every, there, everything seems to be making it look like he did do it and then at the very last minute they find out no he couldn't have done it somebody else had to do it and like in the case of this last one they found out that it that it was the guy's wife who killed him and mm-hmm. the other people were um, unintentional victims because they weren't supposed to be there. Yeah. And um, it, it was um, – it, it's just interesting to me that they always find the person who did do it. It's not just that they reverse the conviction on the bad guy. Theoretically, if somebody is is convicted for doing a crime that you prove that they could not have done, it doesn't matter whether or not you find the person who actually did it. The, the conviction should still be reversed. Right. Yeah, but. it's I I like um my second favorite uh storyline type is the redemptive arc. Um mm-hmm. and if I have a sense that they're going to go that way and I I was thinking that they're going to go that way with uh with Hayes Morrison and Conviction, but now I'm I, I'm a skeptical Mm-hmm. skeptical that it's going to be a redemption arc so much as just a change uh to something that is not as not anywhere near as good right and it, and for me when it comes to redemptive arcs i i think we need to remember that uh that the motivation whatever is motivating the change is just as important as the change itself mm-hmm. and uh as a Christian looking at it through a Christian lens, it's really important to remember that selfish motivations can very often lead to good appearing things. Right. But that doesn't make them a good person. A good person, exactly. Right. Because they're actually they're motivated for selfish reasons. So good acts that are motivated for selfish reasons are selfish acts. Mm-hmm. It, it it doesn't change um change the the like you said the motivation behind it and I, th- I think that's a good thing to point out because she's changing her character i think that they have a lot of room in this sh- in this show over the course of a season or even multiple seasons depending on how the show takes um to to show her character changing a lot but i don't know it, it, it'll just be interesting to see what comes of that yeah but the other thing that I thought's very interesting is, is that they always present the victim. 
it, because when you reverse a conviction or you attempt to reverse a conviction, um, you always have to inform the victim of the crime that the person was convicted of, of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that's interesting to see because Hayes Morrison is is often the one who has to tell the victim, hey, we're looking into this. Yep. And and I think that her interaction with the victims is ve- is a very interesting um, arc on the show itself because you're seeing how sh- she is witnessing how crime affects other people, you know, the victims of of the crime. And yeah, but I was also thinking what's interesting about that is to it, when when you think of somebody being convicted for let's say a murder of a loved one. Um, for for the person who you know who loved that person, that's closure. It's like somebody was brought to justice for that for that crime, and you get closure on it. And then you find out that the person that was convicted was not the right person. What does that do to your sense of closure on Ripping, the crime? It rips the scab off the wound, is what it yeah. does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and 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 to think that you know you you found closure in justice that was incited against somebody who didn't actually do the crime, does that give you a sense of guilt that somehow an innocent person, you know, took, took the blame for something they didn't do. And, and there's an interesting spin on that from a Christian angle. And just to kind of work in a biblical worldview in this is that as Christians, we know we're all sinners and we're all guilty of, uh, crimes against God, basically, and whatever we get from that that being guilty, we is our due justice. Yeah, because because we're guilty, and um, Jesus paid that penalty on our behalf, and so that is an indicate. You know, that's kind of a kind of a conviction that was that should have been overturned. You know what I mean? Like the innocent person who took the took the penalty for somebody who was guilty in their but place. That, that would be an episode, wouldn't it? Conviction looks at the conviction of of Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> right. It, it, it'd be like a five minute episode. What <laughs> in the world were they thinking? Yeah. There's it, no evidence. There's no evidence. Yeah. Well, let's get him out. <laughs> it's a little late. Um, but yeah, that that just to me that, you know, if you wanted to put a biblical spin on this show, that would be that would be where it would be. Justice deserved versus justice uh, not deserved. Yeah. And um, and we are the we are the convicted who did not pay the penalty because someone else took it in our place and. I don't necessarily think about that every time I watch this show. And I'm, to be honest, uh, I'll let you, you know, clue in on this as well. But I don't know that I'm going to keep watching this show. I don't know that it's going to be one that's going to stick with me. Yeah, it's I'm I'm at the three episode and I'm I'm willing to renew it for another three episodes. (laughs) But it it, for me, it's really going to come down to uh, if they amp up the other characters and tone down. Uh, the Hayes Morrison character or start giving her a real sense of redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, like, like you said, I like the spin on uh, the law and order and crime. And it does seem to present the victims in, uh, in an interesting light. Mm-hmm. 
but uh, it's going to be real easy for this show to go wrong. And frankly, yeah. the uh, the sex and scandal, the sex there. and scandal, exactly, yeah. is, is going to be then, where it fails for me. And and the other thing for me is the politics because I really felt it on this last episode. Well, we, I, we said sex and scandal. Isn't that the same thing? <laughs> it can be. Yeah, I, I really felt like there's definitely a progressive tilt um, to the politics of the show, almost to the aspect where. It's like the other side of politics is completely criminalized. Like, yeah, the issue that I really found with this this last episode, they went to the extreme on one side. They demonized the extreme on one side, but they didn't really show the extreme on the other side. And and they were very, very free with a certain word that I think is misused in our culture a lot. And that's the word bigot. And uh, extremely free with it. In fact, every character in the ensemble used it multiple times. And I, I didn't notice that, actually. It was, it was so obvious to me that they were trying to make a political statement with that episode that um, I was like, if they continue on this bent, um, they're going to throw me out really quick. <laughs> and yeah. I, I just... I. I can deal with it to a certain extent because I'm used to it. Most of our, our of our pop culture now has a progressive attitude to it, so you kind of get used to seeing it. Um, but this show, that's particular, and I knew I even from the previews, I knew they were going there, and I was like, "This is going to be interesting to see how the, how hard they hammer it," and they hammered it hard. And it was a single episode. I'm willing to give them another try, but um, that is, I guess, one of the lines that you know, will end a show for me. Yeah. I I can, I can certainly see that. And mm -hmm. I guess, I guess I was just, it just seems like, uh, the more liberal, uh, folks would want to draw a very thick line between, uh, radical Islamists and, uh, Muslims. Mm-hmm. And uh, that line was, uh, in retrospect, very, very clear in uh, in that last episode. As a matter of fact, I don't even think they mentioned radical Islam. Mm -mm. No, not was... not even the character who was the uh, the extremist on the other side, as far as uh, the extremist uh, against Islam. Uh, the guy in prison. I don't even mm -hmm. think he said radical Islam. I well, I think he was in, in implying it that we we let these people come over here. They're going to be bombing us and hurting us and blah blah blah. So I think that was his stance, but it was a demonized version of that stance, and that's why I'm saying it wasn't necessarily. I guess for me, looking on that, it looked to me like a slant. Like the this side of the argument is always the extreme. Yeah, the other side of the argument. Yeah, the other side of the argument, there are no extremes. And I, th I think that was turned on its head because I actually think it's not as extreme on the right side as the progressives like to think it is. And hopefully I mean, we'll see a change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or not. No, or not. Yeah. Yep. I, that was just the problem that I had with that particular show. And I. And like I said, the sex and scandal was actually the bigger turnoff at the end of that episode. I'm like, oh, really? They're going to go there? I can take an episode here or there that stomps on my beliefs, 
and make and demonizes my side of politics, I can take an episode here or there. But if they really go into the sex and scandal and then they and then they stomp on my beliefs in every episode. Yeah. There's no reason for me. No to reason to watch it. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. OK, so uh, let's jump into the next one. Yeah. The uh, next to ensemble, there is the uh, the duo or the buddy, uh, the buddy <laughs> this, premise. This is a remake. And yep. I was uh, I was actually very skeptical. I went into the show extremely skeptical. This is we're going to talk about Lethal Weapon, which is one of the two major remakes of the season. And. Um, I went into this because I've always, believe it or not, even though they're rated R, I've always liked the Lethal Weapon movies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge Mel Gibson fan. And the weird thing about this is that I watched it, I went into the to the pilot and actually hadn't even looked at the show until somebody else told me it was worth looking at. And I was, it was already two episodes in, so I had to go online and find the episodes to watch them because I had completely missed them when they were on TV. Mm-hmm. And... I was hooked almost instantly. I'm like, this works. I like this show. And so a couple weekends ago, I decided to pull out the original Mel Gibson uh, Lethal Weapon movie and watch it. Because all I was going on was what I remembered of the movie. And it had been years since I'd seen it. And I have to say, the TV show blows the movie right out of the water. It is so much better. I I have to agree. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and well, I like the movies too. Yeah, well, they're dated now. That's the I think the biggest the biggest blow against them is that they were made a long time ago, and you go back and watch them now, and you're like, I like that. <laughs> but this TV show is amazing, when yeah. you co- especially compared to the movies. The two the two main actors, uh, Damon Wayans, I'm I'm familiar with from all his comedy, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm not actually familiar with the guy who plays Martin Riggs, and I wish I'd looked up his name. Yeah, it's um, uh, Clay Crawford is his name. Yeah, it's I can't think of anything else he's been in. I I really kind of hope this is his first real good gig. You know, a show that lasts for a while. I really would like to see Lethal Weapon stick around for now, a while. Just on the off chance that some of our listeners have never seen the Lethal Weapon franchise, <laughs> <laughs> the premise is that there is a uh, an older cop. Uh, who has been on the job for a long time, getting Steady. ready to retire, uh, it just wants to make it to the end of the next month, the end of the next year, you know, uh-huh. uh, uh, very well established. Right. And he is partnered up with a <clears throat> uh, presumably younger cop who has some very different ideas on what sanity is. Yes. Well, he's... And and it's very obvious for both the TV show and the movie. He's suicidal. Yeah. I, I think – and they're very similar stories. Uh, I think they they pay pretty much almost identical um, between the movie and the TV show. And I had always thought Mel Gibson played somebody who was on the edge of, you know, complete suicide. I mean, just really wet, willing to put a gun to his head and pull the trigger. Um, and he could he did such a good job of communicating that. And mm. I think that was one of the reasons why I – I guess Mel Gibson just played that role so well. I'm not really into those kind of movies, but for some reason, yeah, um, he played the role so well um, that I enjoyed enjoyed his character so much. And the, this guy, Clayne Crawford, is is just as believable, if not more so, um, believable as a suicidal cop. And 
You know, it's. It, I think it helps that in the first. Ep- Did you start with the first episode? Mm-hmm. Yes. No, it's because it, I was. I actually I started watching backstory. it from the path from the start, uh-huh. but I I didn't expect to make it past the first episode. <laughs> but I I was really taken in by the presentation of the Riggs backstory, mm-hmm. and which you never got in the movies. No. Well, maybe no, not at all. Yeah. I mean, they referred to it, but you didn't like get the full story. But uh, uh, the way that it just it laid it out bare, mm-hmm. and it was it, almost a shock value right yeah, there at the beginning. Yeah, by the most recent episode, we're finding out that there's even more to uh, the Riggs character than the loss of his uh, wife and mm-hmm. barely unborn child. Child, yes, she she was killed on the way to the the hospital to deliver her baby. And I think that added to that scene because he appears at the hospital with ready to greet his baby and find out that his wife was dead. You know, that's that that instant shock value of I'm coming to meet my baby. It just tears your heart out. Yeah, it does. And he did a very good job of playing it, too, where you just see the just the shock and the grief on his face and in his body. And um, And, and I think. One of the more important lines in that was at the end of that very first episode where uh, Murtaugh asks him, you know, are, am I going to see you tomorrow? And and he's like, you know, I can't do it. I can't do it myself. And and that was, to me, something that I never saw in that character in the, in the movies was his inability to actually kill himself. He wants he wants the bad guys to kill him. And you see that over and over again. He wants to do. He wants de- he wants death by bad guy. Yeah, it be, he, he even said it. It, it, mm-hmm. it was it in that episode that he didn't want to let his dead wife down. Right, that she would be disappointed if yeah. he did it, and so that was why he couldn't do it. And and you see that over and over again. Almost in every episode, he invites some bad guy to kill him. And um, the and and he's always it's always a reaction to something. Like in one of the episodes was. Uh, he, he gets called by his real estate agent that, you know, his house is that there's yeah. buyers for his house. And and he's on his way to Murtaugh's house for dinner. And instead of going there, he goes to a bar and gets himself beat up. Yep. It it, it seems to be handling the whole trigger depression trigger thing. Well, too, mm-hmm. it's it over. It, I mean, I really don't know of very much that I haven't liked about this show. I think the only complaint I've had has been a really minor one and uh, seems to be going away with each additional episode Mm. uh, that they were relying very heavily on tropes. Mm -hmm. Um, The first episode, they investigated a supposed suicide in Griffin Park and um, and, uh, slowly the facts come out that, oh, the guy was right or the guy was left handed. (laughs) And I, all I could do was roll my eyes. Like, how many times have they used that as the basis for uh, a couldn't have been suicide defense? Mm-hmm. And then that they, wasn't the only thing, though. That, and, right. And I do appreciate the fact that one of the things they do keep giving you, and I think you were actually going there before I interrupted you, was that <laughs> Martin Riggs is a, a veteran. And so he has war on his conscience as well. And that first episode that I think that was one of the reasons, one of the ways they, they impacted you with the fact that he's a veteran is that he, this guy had served 
um, he didn't want somebody who had served his country to have not have an investigation into his death. Yeah. And, and the, he and felt I he deserved it. He deserved an investigation. Yeah. Even if everybody else was willing to say, hey, he's committed suicide, he thought he deserved an investigation. And, and that's why they were looking for the answers as to, you know, why he couldn't have committed suicide. It's, I'm getting the impression that the first season is going to focus a lot on Riggs' um, status as a veteran mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, you know, how— The last episode was very heavily in yeah, that. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. But uh, one of the things that I'm really liking about this is the uh, contrast and comparison between Murtaugh's uh, family-filled life mm-hmm. and Riggs' absolute heart-wrenching pain over mm-hmm. having his family taken from him and uh they seem to be doing it well with uh particularly with the interface of uh Riggs and Murtaugh's wife Trish mm-hmm. uh they they seem to be you know putting some nice feelers in for the relationship there of of uh being his partner's wife right and and the thing that I think is is interesting about that is that they're becoming Riggs's family, and yeah. I, and I think that for a little bit, I think that what was it the third episode where it involved uh, Murtaugh's son um, calling Riggs for help instead yeah. of his father, yep. and and that whole scene where I'm not even sure Murtaugh realized how much he hurt, he hurt Riggs' feelings because Riggs is the typical soldier and he doesn't show. Mm-hmm. how he feels about things but Murtal was like stay away from my family and and i was like ow <laughs> you know this is a guy who's lost everything he's lost everything that says family to him and he's growing to love your family and your reaction to him stepping in and helping your son is stay away from my family and yeah i thought that was very well done because it did give that interplay uh, a chance to happen. Uh, one of the questions that you had asked w- in mm-hmm. the notes was, uh, "What makes life worth living?" And I like the way that they're going with this. That they seem to be laying brick by brick a new foundation for Riggs' life to show him what makes it worth living. And and, and that's mm-hmm. uh, so far we've seen them lay down the idea of community and family and you know belonging in the in the police department and there's that whole um sideline story that whole side story uh dealing with his father-in-law who happens to be the DA right mm-hmm. yeah and the reason why he's managing to keep his job when, when <laughs> yeah cuz he should have been have, canned <laughs> yeah a long time ago um they keep wondering why people are not you know more upset about the huge uh bill they keep racking up in damage <laughs> Um, if anybody has, I mean, I'm sure that anybody who's going to tackle this show has probably seen at least one of the movies. And that was something that, that was always something going on in the movies was they were always getting something, uh, shot up or blown up or, um, if that, and they made fun of that in the first episode, didn't they? With the, with the oil truck. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, oh, was it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't want to shoot it because, you know, it might blow up and then it blows up behind Mm -hmm. him. Right. Right. Yeah. And, um. And to be honest, I that's one of the things I like about the show is, is that they unapologetically pay homages to the movie. Almost every episode has something that ties into a specific scene. 
mm-hmm. in one of the movies. And but it's not a rehash of that scene. It's just implies it. If yeah. that makes any sense. Uh, they're doing it at the same time. They're they're making the show their own, too, which is really right. Uh, I think that the show has legs, and I really, mm-hmm. I really hope it goes, uh, it goes on for a while. Uh, uh, at least one full season. I would that, definitely like to see one full season. That said, I'm not <laughs> superstitious, but I might have just jinxed it. Yeah, yeah, it's entirely possible. People don't like remakes for the most part. Yep. And and that's why I was so skeptical of this TV show to start out with because I did like the movie so much. And I was like, how could they possibly remake a Mel Gibson movie into a TV show without the original actors? How can they? I mean, mm-hmm. Danny Glover and Mel Gibson, how do you how do you remake that chemistry on the small screen? How do you they do it? They seem to have done it. They did it. They did it, and and the chemistry is great. The writing is great. They're having fun with the show. It's not overly depressive, which when you have a character that's practically all the time suicidal, I think it would be very easy to get very depressing. And I don't think this show is depressing at all. It's actually a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, um, it, Speaking of remakes, oh. <laughs> there was a show on the, uh, on the schedule for months. That my wife and I were both looking forward to. <laughs> Let me a guess. show we grew up with. Uh huh. Let me guess. MacGyver. Oh, you got it. One. <laughs> I love that show. Richard Dean Anderson is amazing. That that he is, and he is not in this MacGyver. Not no. even in spirit. Not even in spirit. Oh, this one is terrible. I watched the pilot and about five minutes into the pilot, I'm like, why did they cast Doogie Howser? MD oh, as yes. MacGyver. I mean, no, it's don't get me wrong. This is not the actor who played Doogie Howser MD, but that is how he the looks character. So young. He's way too young. They went for looks over um, believability in the character. I think. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it was just Lucas Till is his name, I guess. It, let's see how old he is. Fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> looks it, doesn't he? Uh, born in 1990, so that makes him 27. Uh, well, I wonder how old Richard Dean Anderson was when he, he started. He was pretty young. I think he was pretty young in MacGyver. Yeah, but he was. But you know, I think that MacGyver had a certain flair to it, and I think they were trying to go for it. I mean, with the whole kind of like he's journaling it, you know. Or he's talking about how he came into the situation and who these people are and all that at the beginning of the pilot. They were trying to get the feel of the original MacGyver with that. But MacGyver didn't have an ensemble. He was a work alone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, there, were, there were other characters, obviously. But they, characters. they were in the frame. They were at the beginning of the episode and the end of the mm-hmm. episode. And he always picked up a new girl in every, uh, every episode. <laughs> He always found a damsel in distress to rescue, and and it never went anywhere. Sometimes the damsel was actually a kid. There were a few episodes where he rescued a kid, and, mm-hmm. and there was always chemistry there. He always worked alone. He always worked with what was there, and there usually wasn't some kind of political arc or anything. They were Every episode was, at least in the first season, was unique, and it stood alone, yeah. and it had that kind of movie adventure feel. It, I think it almost kind of went for that Indiana Jones thing where it always started out in the middle of something else 
and then which was actually more of a James Bond thing now that I think about it. <laughs> well, um, he pulled it off. Yes. Unfortunately, Lucas Till does not. No. <laughs> and I don't and, uh, honestly, I don't think it's all Lucas Till. Uh he looks to me he looks y- much younger than he is. Mm-hmm. Um but he plays it younger too. Right. And on and, top of that, there the science that they used in the uh, in the first episode because that's all I made it into. Uh-huh. Uh, the science that they used was completely off, right? And that was the last straw for me. Yeah, I watched. I believe it or not, I did the three episodes on MacGyver. It didn't get any better. It got worse. <laughs> oh no! And and you know that and the part of it was this this whole. It almost felt like they were kind of going for the leverage feel, you know, where there's instead of a cast of five, it was a cast of three. But you had your your geek hacker and you had your uh, enforcer and then you had the the genius, you know, and I none of them. There was no chemistry between them as a group. And it really felt like they were they were playing to the stereotype, which when you do an ensemble cast, you do not play to the stereotype. Yeah, especially important that that people um, color outside the lines and they weren't with this cast at all it was like okay there's your enforcer and he's going to be you know he's going to fit all of the stereotypes and none of them were really believable in their role yeah so and, and it, that's a shame because i like george eads uh in csi for as long as i watched it i, I think i watched mm-hmm. about half of the seasons and you know it, like I, I mentioned earlier at the beginning it's like for an ensemble cast when it falls so flat you can't always blame it on the actors uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the writing and the producer, the the vision of the show. Um, something fell flat there, and it didn't come together. And yeah. it's a piece of junk. Don't bother watching it. <laughs> I, it's, I certainly wouldn't recommend it. No. Go back. If you want to watch MacGyver, go back and watch the remakes. I think they actually play them on the um, the CBS, I think it's CBS, um, website. If you go to their website, they have classic television shows, and you can watch MacGyver on their website. Go back and watch the original. The new one's mm. not worth it. So MacGyver may have missed the science, but uh, I'll tell you what's got the science fiction. <laughs> How's that for a segue? It's a good segue. Now, Timeless, this is interesting because you and I both put this on our list, I think, before we'd even seen an episode. Yeah. And uh, because it aired late, I think it was one of the more later starting shows. And um, I'd seen previews for it. It looked interesting. I'm not sure I'm as into it as you are. Uh, it's it, I'm I'm still on the fence. You're still on the fence. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, have you seen the three all three episodes? Lincoln, and then there Hindenburg, was the, Lincoln, and then and Las uh, Vegas. Oh, JFK. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I watched the Las Vegas one last night. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on the fence from the pilot. It's growing on me. And you know what? I really like. Uh, I'll give the good first. I really like the um, the period costuming and the sets. They've been doing a very good job with that. It's mm-hmm. kind of fun um, to watch them dress up. They even made a ploy at it with the Lincoln one where... Um, uh, the, the uniform. The uniform. That's yeah, not I a like real that. uniform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I like the value that they are giving us in glimpses back in U.S. history. Yeah. Um, especially Especially with their African-American character. Um, he even, he played it up in the pilot. He's like, you want me to go back in time? You know, 
our history has not been too kind to people with my color skin. Yeah. And they don't um, shy away from it either. No, they don't shy away from it. And I think that it's it's valuable lessening to go back and see like uh, in the Las Vegas episode, he kept pointing out I'm invisible. I could do anything because nobody pays attention to me. I'm completely invisible. Yeah. In the Hindenburg episode, uh, he was almost beat up by the cops. Mm hmm. And uh, and he got to see in the Lincoln episode, he got to really feel what it was like to be a freed slave and the value that 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 the that his, you know, his forebears would have put into what Lincoln did for them. I thought that was I I, I liked uh, that whole scene where he was doing Mm -hmm. the uh, the newspaper. Mm hmm. The ad- advertisement about looking for their families, yeah, and that they couldn't read and write, and and he could, and so they asked him to write up the advertisements. Yeah, it's um, I I've really Rufus Rufus Carlin, <laughs> that's his name. Yeah, I'm really enjoying that aspect, just to be able to to see, and and to be honest, as a time travel show, uh, I I got the same feel from DC's um, Legends of Tomorrow. They did that. Uh, did a little bit of that um, in last season when they when they initially started the whole time travel thing with their uh, one character who is also African American, and, and um, they had that one particular episode where he, oh, they were yeah. in the fifties, yep. and and he got interested in a girl who was white, and um, and it was just like, oh yeah, that was an issue not that long ago, mm-hmm. and. Um, to me, there's value in that and that we can look at our culture today. And though everybody says ra- racism is so bad right now, I really feel like our culture has made tremendous strides. And when we when we revisit what it was like even 50 years ago or 30 years ago um, with these time travel shows, I think it there's value in seeing how far we have come. Yeah, it's, I think um... – I don't think anyone would deny that there is still racism. Oh, no. I wouldn't um, deny that. I, right. I think the racism is more insidious now because it's so much harder to spot uh, mm-hmm. and and easier to hide for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, I think this – the whole time travel thing uh, that you're talking about where it lets you focus on the social issues, I think that's a good way to remind people uh, – that you know it has been worse uh we're working on on making it better but frankly we're not gonna we're not gonna get it perfect we can't we can't no we can't and i think that any and that too we're going to see even some women's rights issues because we we're going back and seeing even how women have been treated in the past because we have we have the african-american character we also have a female character and and she is the historian, so she knows what she's getting herself into when she goes back in time. Yeah, because she knows the history, and uh, I think there's there's going to be some. It's going to be interesting to see how this pans out. I don't know that this is a show. Uh, I, I'm I'm curious to see how it holds my interest because it could turn into one of those where I record a bunch of episodes and kind of forget <laughs> to watch them. Um, but I might binge watch, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, I've, I've yeah, got exactly. like six episodes and I'll binge watch them. And, and, uh, I think, I think I might enjoy it better. One of the cons that I had with this, and I don't know whether you would agree with me on this, is that them changing history from what we know into something different to me makes the show more unbelievable. Mm-hmm. 
what I would have liked to have seen, and I don't know how this twist would have worked, was where they were living in alternate history, and as they go back in time, they're changing it uh, to what we know today, what the history that we know, they're changing it into that. That's uh, let's tie that back to the Legends of Tomorrow thing. They mm-hmm. never, they never really impact history. Yeah, it's they never really address any changes that they're making to the timeline. Exactly. <laughs> But uh, it seems to be a plot point in uh, Timeless. And while it plays to uh, something I like about the show, which is the idea of a season-long puzzle where they give you little pieces every episode, Mm -hmm. uh, it's also something I don't like about the show because there doesn't seem to be any consistency to the changes that they're making. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, the the very first episode, uh, the Hindenburg doesn't crash on landing. Mm-hmm. Um, it crashes on takeoff the yeah, next day. Right? It, 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 uh, it is destroyed on takeoff the next day, but everybody gets off. Right. So the event, the Hindenburg event itself never happened. And that didn't really seem to have any impact. Mm-hmm. And then the next episode is uh, Lincoln, where they, where I liked the idea that they argued over whether or not they should save Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And she ends up trying to, and yeah. it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, and, and you got to think, you got to think about that too, because every, not everybody survived the Hindenburg because remember that journalist, she ended up getting killed. She didn't get killed by the Hindenburg crashing. She got shot. Instead. Right. Right. So it's almost like his, there's certain sticking points where these certain people have to die. And they do. Yeah, it yeah, it reminds me a little bit of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, they in Doctor Who they've always had this thing where there are certain unchangeable events in the timeline, mm-hmm. and those unchangeable events will always be that way, regardless of what they do. Which uh, I know is just a a band aid to the whole time travel idea, but I prefer that band aid. And I sort of hope that they start touching on in Timeless the idea of fate and whether or not they believe in it. But Mm -hmm. so far, I have not seen a single piece of evidence that there is any faith in God in this, in the Timeless Mm -hmm. universe at all. I haven't seen any churches, any priests, anything. Which is odd because it wasn't that long ago that that especially in the U.S. culture, religion played a very strong um, part of every aspect of our culture. Even people who were non-religious would, get, you know, give some smidgen of appearance of it. Yeah, I, I guess I can accept not seeing it in Las Vegas in 1962. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I would have expected to see it in 1865 65. Mm-hmm. and definitely yeah. 1920. It, just as a, a bunny trail, I thought this was interesting. I had read a a fantasy that was set in like the 60s, 50s and 60s. And one and one of the characters was somewhat religious, you know, like they went to church, but it was not a, a Christian book. It was a secular book. And when I was reading the reviews on Amazon, people were mad at it because it showed the character going to church. Oh, and, no. And and so I was just kind of like, that's kind of weird when you're when you're talking about a period piece, your your characters have to be authentic to the era. And people went to church. That was especially in small towns. That was the community place to gather. Whether you were religious or not, you made the appearance of going to church to be part right. of the community. And that was the small town thing to do in the forties, fifties, and sixties, regardless of whether you were 
I mean, maybe you weren't a college. I mean, college students were probably in the 60s were rebel and didn't do it. But hmm. there, there, there are certain aspects of eras that are true to a certain appeal. And, and you can't change what actually happened. If you're going to do a period piece, you have to show authenticity. Um, the other thing I, I kind of wanted to bring up was from a biblical worldview, how time travel fits into that. And uh, I've always kind of thought of time as being something that is imagined by God. Um, we know that God from, from, Bi- from the Bible context, we know that he is, I am, he, he is pre-existing. He has always right. existed. He always will be, which means that from um, something that we as, as finite bil- beings on a, on a timeline, we live on a timeline. We cannot comprehend what it would be like to be outside time, but that right. is God. God is outside time. So from that aspect, if time is imagined by God, even if we were able to go back and view things that have already happened in time, would we be able to actually impact what happened? Because in in, in my mind, even if we went back then it had happened that way. So we weren't, wouldn't be changing anything because our going back was already part of God's vision. Mm. Does that it, make sense? It, it does. But I would argue a different, uh, a, a, because we're being completely hypothetical here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I would argue that every single breath you take creates a different timeline. Mm-hmm. But that's no stress to God. Yeah. Because God is infinite i mean right. he has power to spare <laughs> it, <laughs> it it no matter how many timelines even an infinite number of timelines uh god could uh, shrug it off as far as mm-hmm. the, the uh the difficulty in keeping track of them all yeah and, th- and that's just you know that's just how i picture god to be and, and, yeah and, and there's a lot of theology wrapped up in that oh, that yeah. we don't want to even get into because you know get your whole calvinism and your um, <laughs> uh i mean we, we could go like arminian calvin arminian calvin yeah. i mean there's all kinds of things that fit into that discussion um one of the things i wanted to bring up and i don't know whether you've ever heard of randy ingermanson he's a physicist who writes uh fiction mm-hmm. and he's a christian and he um, he wrote a trilogy that I read once um, called the City of God trilogy. And uh, somebody who thinks that he can end Christianity goes back in time to assassinate the Apostle Paul in order to prove because he thinks that Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was the author of Christianity. And if he if he assassinates him, Christianity will never exist. And so they go back to prevent this guy from from assassinating the apostle paul but it turns out that every instance in which he tries to assassinate the apostle paul creates the incident that is established in the new testament Hmm. um like in the in the story in acts where it says that they send paul to someone else for trial because he had appealed to caesar Mm -hmm. and and when he when he comes back and the jews Jews try to kill him because he entered the temple with um with who they thought were not jews um and defiled the temple which he didn't but that was the, what caused the riot. Um, they have to pull him in to protect him from the crowd. And then they take him by night um, to the other city because there was a rumor that somebody was going to kill him. And all of that stuff is in the book of Acts. But they make it, he made it like the time travel was that this, is, this time traveler had gone back and he caused all of that to happen. Huh. And so 
um, basically his premise was when you go back and try to change the timeline, you actually create what actually happened. <laughs> and so you become a part of that. The The first book, Transgression, is free on all the major sites for books. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, mm-hmm. uh, Apple, iBooks. Uh, so if you want to get into the series – uh, the first book is free. It's, yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's, I down I downloaded it once I saw it in your notes because I'd never heard of uh, Inger Manson. Yeah, and uh, I, I love the I love the idea of time travel in a Christian fiction. Mm-hmm. He also did, and this one occasionally comes up as free. He he did a a, a book called Oxygen, and it's about a something that we handled um, not too recently, a mission to Mars. Um, and it's actually very good too. I highly recommend it. So, uh, you don't get to see too many people who are scientists who are also Christian writing science fiction and it's, uh, yeah. it's very, his, he's very good. So I highly recommend yeah. his books. Um, but that took us completely off topic, but I wanted to A talk about bit. it. Well, I wanted to talk about it from an aspect of how, how do we view time travel from a Christian aspect? And I really feel like Inger Monson's vision, um, is probably the best one. Okay. But I don't. I, I recommend. I mean, I, I see your point as well that God can handle whatever we change. But I really feel like that He would. I mean, well, it's just hard to explain <laughs> time from God's point of view. But yeah. you know, there there's this argument uh, against time travel. Um, uh, do you believe that you'll ever be able to travel back in time? And the answer is no, because I've never met somebody who's traveled back in time. <laughs> Uh, I think that's probably closer to what we will experience, but it, mm-hmm. it's it's a fun thought experiment. Don't want to dwell on that too much because we have one more show we want to talk about, and we're getting short on time, so yeah. we're going to have to blow right into Designated Survivor. And now, this show is uh, our family favorite right now. Oh, really? I know that uh, politics plays into it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter as much in this house because... Um, you know, I've got two. Uh, I've got a seventeen-year-old and a nineteen-year-old who tend more towards the liberal side. Mm. Um, my my daughter, in particular. Uh, but we normally we don't discuss politics in the house because <laughs> don't want to start a never ends well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but designated survivor. The premise is that um, uh, Tom Kirkman. Is uh-huh. the secretary of urban urban and housing development HUD, and um, he is being transitioned out of the presidential cabinet. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he is identified as what's called the designated survivor, which is a real position. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who specifically does not go to a uh, gigantic event like the State of the Union. Mm-hmm. And during the State of the Union in which he was the designated survivor, there is a terrorist attack or a – Bombing the Capitol. Yeah. A – what is assumed to be a terrorist attack. We don't know where where they're going to go with that. Yeah. uh, That kills everybody in the Capitol building. Right. Three branches. As far as we know. Yeah. All three branches of government wiped out in – of 30 seconds basically. Yeah. it, yeah, it's an interesting premise, and I think it – to me, I think it it was big enough to really draw an audience, especially because it's an election year. People are very sensitive um, to the thought of transition of government and, and who do you put in power, and uh, I think that it 
basically everybody I know has at least watched one episode. It's mm-hmm. it's amazingly um, popular right now. Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland plays uh, that kind of role so well. Mm-hmm. Yes, he does. And I had a, I was amazed at how many people I was seeing on Facebook saying that they were going to write Kiefer Sutherland in for president um, in November. And I, I will say we, we plan to get this episode up fairly quickly, but it is pre-election when we record this. So we don't know anything about the election uh, recording this right now. But yeah, I, I, I actually reprimanded a couple of them for that and i'm like he's an actor playing a role come on it's, i can't imagine well <laughs> now we haven't elected an actor before but um i i like what they're doing with this show uh, yeah they, they have so many different ways to go uh mm-hmm. as far as um the fact that he was uh asked to or he was offered a new position just before uh the state of the union Mm-hmm. And which the, has created the most recent scandal in the episodes, you know, where now there are certain people who are saying, well, he can't be president because he was had already been fired. And right. he really hadn't been fired. It was more like well, he was let to know that he was going to be asked to take another position. Yeah, it's from a personal viewpoint. I have two problems with the idea that he can't be president. First is you can't fire a cabinet member. Mm hmm. They have to resign willingly, mm-hmm. and he hadn't resigned yet. Right. Second, he was still the designated survivor. He right. was he was the person that the president or his party or whatever handpicked mm-hmm. to uh, not be there, <laughs> not not be there in case something happened. Right. Now, granted, they clearly didn't think something would happen. Right. But uh, guess what? Something did because the director let it happen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I mean, he is the rightful uh, holder of the office of the president of the United States. And mm-hmm. on top of that, he's the last cabinet member. <laughs> he's like 12th in the line for succession, but there is no one else in right. the succession order after the cabinet. Right. So there's – without him, there would be no president of the United States. Yes, Exactly. And uh, I'm surprised they haven't addressed that yet in the show. Uh, okay, if not him, then who? Well, they're going to they're, – they're, where they're going is the Republican because what – obviously the way it's set up is that it was a Democratic president. So that means right. that uh, the cabinets were probably liberal progressive Democrats. Um, I don't know which Democrat president wouldn't have Democrats as his uh, Actually, his Obama has a, a Republican on his cabinet. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Um, but the the other, the Republicans had a designated survivor as well, and it was a senator. Um, do you remember what state she's a senator of? I can't remember. No, I don't. Um, but anyway, she's, she's a senator, and uh, she pops up as being the Republicans designated survivor. And she seems to be supporting him as president, but there's definitely a lot of politics going on right there. She's she is fishy. She's very fishy. And I I think that's the one thing that has kind of somewhat turning me off of the show is that they are letting the uh, political party thing maybe creep in a little too strongly mm. um, in that they are making the Republican senator look fishy. And then we have a Republican governor who has gone complete treasonous. Uh, yeah. And uh, and they very much have villainized him and made him look really bad. Now, uh, what his character, what the character did is really bad. Yes. Um, I'm not saying that what he's, 
Yeah, he didn't need to be a Republican. They didn't need to make a big deal about his political affiliation. It's almost like they are casting the bad guys as Republicans. Yeah. So I guess um, we can expect that from Hollywood, yeah. though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We can. Uh, it's kind of the same same thing that I'm having problems with uh, with conviction is that it's like the progressive point of view. It's like the Republicans are the bad guys. And I guess if Republicans had made this, then the progressives would be the bad guys. So we just tend to have that that division in our in our culture now um, that they think that they can get away with a TV show completely villainizing half of. Or maybe it isn't half. I don't know. Half of the voting public. Yeah. Um, if they're comfortable doing that, then uh, whatever know. pays their bills. Right. Exactly. It's, I'm. I. I really haven't found uh, the demonizing to be as strong as you have. Mm-hmm. But again, I think it's because I turn off my. Uh, I try to turn off my uh, <laughs> conservative liberal radar when I'm mm-hmm. watching these shows. Well, you almost have to to enjoy anything on TV now because it is it, we live in a culture now where the progressives rule and yeah. that is it's evident in pretty much every TV show you watch now. Well, they, they definitely rule the cult they rule the media culture. Yeah, the pop culture. Yeah, it's it's yeah. definitely um and sadly and you know that's kind of what we are as this this podcast is at you know, we're Christians watching things. And the question is, are you just watching? Are you sensitive um, to how Christians are portrayed, to how um, the pulp culture is portrayed, how culture is changed and how it is uh, molded by what we watch? And I think television, especially today in this season, what I am seeing is, for the most part, that the progressive view of the pulp culture is being molded by television. We're yep. seeing that. And in fact, I was, I was talking to my uh, dad recently and he has quit watching a lot of shows because he gets so tired of the homosexuality being rammed down his throat Ugh. because almost every show now has its homosexual character in it. And, and he gets so tired of it. It's like, yes, it's becoming more, out in the open in our culture but does every show have to hammer it and and i get his point i i've kind of not as sensitive to it i think as he is but i get his point i can see how that gets old after a while having it rammed down your throat with every single show yeah we we are uh christians are considered old-fashioned and and uh Mm -hmm. behind the times and and that's, that's often a, how they're portrayed when they yeah, when there absolutely. is a Christian character in a show. They're always backwards or um, very um, uh, linear in their thinking. Like there's and and if, a lot if of times, not being portrayed as outright bigots or right, homophobes right. or you name uh, right. it. Mm-hmm. And and that is, uh, I mean, you can be sensitive to it. You can be offended by it. You can quit watching a show because of it. Um, it there's there's a whole range of reactions you can have to that. For me, I can handle it for an episode or two, but if it becomes one of the foundations of the show, I don't. I'm not so sensitive that I can hand, can't handle being offended occasionally. But if it becomes a regular thing, I'm. I, I don't see any value in in watching a show that slaps me. Does that make sense? Yep. And uh, that's where I fear Designated Survivor may get to a point where I feel like I'm being slapped with every episode. If it gets to that point, I will probably quit watching. As much as I like the premise and yeah. I like the the chemistry in the cast and and all of it, 
if it becomes to the, the political version of the Democrats are the good guys and the Republicans are always the bad guys, I probably will quit watching the show. I'm hoping it'll get a, a little bit more like the West Wing treatment where mm-hmm. West Wing, it, it was clearly a Democratic uh, White House. But every once in a while, they had an episode where they showed that uh, you know partisanism is destructive. Mm-hmm. And they, they showed that uh, on both sides of the aisle, there were people who wanted to do good things, wanted to make a difference, and they were doing what they thought was right. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to see a little bit more of that in Designated Survivor, but hey, we're only, what, three or four episodes into it. Yeah, and they took a break this week, so, last week, which yeah. kind of, and I was sad. Yeah. What's that big baseball thing? Oh, yeah, the World Series is on next week. <laughs> well, I, I got to say, you know, beyond the likable cast and the good premise, one of the things that I appreciate about this show is the the family aspect. Um, yes, Showing the absolutely. shock the shock of what it would be like to be nobody really in, in politics. You know, one of the people who see security, but never have to worry about security and kids living their normal lives and not worrying about it. And then suddenly being thrown into the white house with all of the security that's involved in that and how that impacts a family and what goes on inside that family. And how does a president who is really on call 24 seven be a dad? Mm hmm. I think this show is really dealing well with that. It's, I've always, I've, I've actually always wondered about that. Uh, uh, particularly, um, well, the Obamas had the uh, the two girls. How old mm-hmm. was the the oldest? I want to say she was like twelve or thirteen when he first went into office, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. I, I really have. I think they've done a very good job of keeping them out of the limelight. Yeah. I really and and Chelsea be, Clinton was yeah. the same way. Yeah, she was pretty young. When, and, when and I don't think uh, I don't think the Bush daughters. Well, I think they were both near adulthood when. But you have to take into account, though, that these were children that were went through the whole campaign mess going very into true. a presidency. They were prepared as a family to be thrown into that. And what you're showing with designated survivor is this is just your normal, everyday, dysfunctional family. Yep. <laughs> um, very thrown, very dysfunctional. <laughs> very dysfunctional family. Realistically um, being, dysfunctional, I should yes. say. Yes, realistically dysfunctional family thrown into the high security hot house of the White House mm-hmm. and without any warning whatsoever. I mean, they're literally kidnapped from their home and transported to the White House by um, security. And it's an in- a huge impact, especially on the boy, because as we find out, he's dealing drugs and yep. um, and his mom finds out and there's a whole mess going on with that. And the child, the daughter is much younger and has no clue what's going on, and they're trying to shield her, but she's been transported to the White House. I mean, how do you shield her from what's going on? And so there's a lot of family complications, and I really appreciate yeah, how they're dealing with that. It, they, they have a very fertile ground here that they can mm-hmm. grow uh, a, an impressive number of, uh, of different storylines, and I really hope they, they, uh, they use it well. Um, mm-hmm. because it, it can, this show can go far, mm-hmm. but if it, you know, if it dies into the partisanism, is that even a real word? <laughs> uh, partisanship of, uh, of, you know, liberal politics. And, mm-hmm. uh, I would, I would agree with you. I think I would probably, uh, turn it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, there's a point where it goes too far. And uh, but I, at, so far, I'm enjoying the show, and I'm curious to see where they go with it. As long as they don't keep hammering the Republican in the role of villain, mm-hmm. um, I think that I I can appreciate this in the long long term. Uh, I do think that they did a nice dig against the progressive uh, or the Democrat um, reluctance to go to war. Um, they are showing Repul- you know, like the general's definitely a warmonger. He wants immediate warlike response um the president's hesitancy actually causes problems though and i think that they're realistic problems that they're showing that you know his inability to make um quick decisions um you know the president is the commander-in-chief he has to be able to make quick decisions and i think it'd be interesting to see where they're going with that in the long run yeah because that that could be an Achilles heel of the, the liberal policies that they can actually show without demonizing liberals. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And I think they have actually touched on that a little bit. <sighs> <laughs> it's an interesting show. I don't recommend yeah. that people not watch it because of pol- party politics. Give it a try. See if you like it. Yeah, I, I don't feel like the politics are um, so much there that it, it would push people out yet. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yet. Yeah, it could get there, but yet. Um, it, it's, it's been an interesting discussion uh, delving into the, wor- the world of the small screen. Yeah, it's, I, I enjoy these, uh, these sort of one-offs of, uh, you know, reminding folks that uh, you're always watching, even if mm-hmm. it's the commercial or the television series. But uh, yeah, I, I enjoy this. Yeah, and and I'm hoping that people will um, maybe even comment in the show notes or on our uh, Facebook page, uh, letting us know what TV shows they have liked, um, especially new ones from the season, maybe even telling us what they thought of the ones we've covered in in this one. Maybe there's actually a person out there who likes the new MacGyver. That would be really interesting to (laughs) hear from somebody like that. Um, so, as I just said, you can comment on our show notes, which are at areyoujustwatching.com slash 63. Um, you can also call us on 903-231-2221 and leave us a voicemail. You can email us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. Audio files are welcome. If you want to record something, we might actually do a feedback episode at some point. I'd love to do that. That just would be nice. And, um, and, and uh, chat with our listeners, basically. Um we do want you to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Uh, the, the reviews are very handy because that increases our visibility. Share us on Facebook. Don't just like us on Facebook. Share our episodes. Let your friends know about us. Uh, talk us up. We'd love to expand our our listenership and, and get more involvement from our listeners. So please do that. It'd be you great can, to get different opinions. Uh, oh, yeah. Not just ours. And Tim and I are not in agreement on everything, but... <laughs> It, it would be nice to have even other voices speak up. So, and you can follow me on Twitter at Eve Franklin, and you can follow me on uh, Twitter at Renchepple, R E N C H E P L E. And do check out our Noodle Mix Network shows. We have quite a few to choose from. I think we we did a shout out to Once Upon a Time podcast. Uh, so do check out our sister podcast. Uh, We thank you so much for listening and hope that you stay subscribed so you can check out our, our episodes coming. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. Thanks for listening. And don't just watch. 
Are You Just Watching is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx. Noodle.mx.